Let's see here if my uh, get my wiring in place. You know when they uh, you see all these TV shows, you know where they uh, wire up the person before they go and see the criminal. You know whatever the case. I could never do that. I mean, could I, I'd always have my wires crossed or tangled or something. We don't need that. So there, are we in good shape? We're looking good up there. Am I sounding good up there? Is the question. Uh, for those of you who uh, who may not know me, my name is uh, Paul Telfer. I'm an elder here. We take elders take uh, turns from time to time uh, speaking to you, and uh, I'm up to bat. Is the the uh, the next one in the rotation to use a baseball analogy? So uh, I don't use baseball analogies because I don't even uh, know how many innings there are in a football game. So. But um, let's take a moment and pray together before I get started because I need all the help God can give me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, dear Lord, to uh, worship you, to look into your word, to ponder what you have to say to us, that you would inspire us to draw closer to you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this new year that spreads out before us. Be with us. Listen, open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn to, with me to Hebrews 6, you've already um, heard from out of Hebrews 11, and uh, Steve Dixon called me, was it last night? Where are you, Steve? Uh, yeah, it was last night. And he said, um, did you have a scripture you wanted read? And I said, well, I already told Steve Roby what it was. I said, it's uh, Hebrews 1 through 6. Oh, he said, he said, Wow, that's exactly the scripture that I was going to use. I said, well, let's not call it coincidence. <laughs> okay, so you've heard from Hebrews 11 and 1 through 6, and we'll be referring back to that in just a moment. But at the moment, turn to Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, and obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the errors of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for the refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to get into the theology class of Order of Melchizedek, so we can just not worry about that. I'll be speaking out. I, I don't like to cut off sentences in the middle as part of it. So I want us to take a look today at that anchor of the soul. And I'm always hesitant when I talk about sailing things because I know that there are people among us who have more experience than I do. Uh, I have a sailboat, and I've sailed it some. Uh, but I've read a whole lot more about sailing than I've ever sailed. So I will just tell you that right up front. So I'm always a little careful about it. But um, 
I'd like to start off with uh, something that makes me look kind of bad, which is an accurate picture. Uh, I was, uh, 1975, uh, I decided that I was going to make my fortune fishing commercially. Now, that right there shows the ignorance that I had as a young man. Uh, and so uh, I bought a dory, and um, I was going to go salmon fishing. And uh, it was a brand new dory, and uh, so I took it to test it at uh, Cape Kowanda. And so uh, I took it out there, and if you're not familiar with them, their dories are a flat-bottom boat. We slide it up on the beach, on the sand, and when we go out through the waves, the owner of the fish company, whose name was Jack, was a uh, very experienced fella, and uh, he knew that I was uh, a babe in the woods, a neophyte, a, a rookie, if you will. So I went and I launched my boat. Now, unbeknownst to me, it was a new boat, and it had a built-in fuel tank. And some of the cleaning products that had been used to build that boat were still in that fuel tank. So I put in some gasoline, and I went down, and I pushed off the beach, and I'm roaring around like guys in dories tend to do, because they're flat bottom and they fly like mad if you give them a lot of money. And uh, there were no other boats around because it wasn't fishing season. It was just me and my partner and the great brainy R. And so as I go out, and all of a sudden, my engine goes, and stops. Makes that sound that no one wants to hear, which is nothing. And so naturally, I set about um, troubleshooting this problem, which for me, not being mechanical, mostly meant going and hoping something would happen. Um, I checked the fuel line, and there was, yeah, I could add a clear fuel, but yeah, there's something in there. Unbeknownst to me, it was contaminated, and it was never, ever going to make that lovely roaring sound again. And so I began to drift. And as I drifted, I rrr, 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 and then I decided that I should call for help. But being the neophyte that I was, I had rrr, 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 so much that when I pushed the button on the transmit for the radio, it didn't transmit. So here I was, all by myself, drifting towards the rocks. And this was getting serious. It was getting so serious that I put on my life jacket. Now... Unbeknownst to me, Jack, the owner of the fish company, knowing that he had a neophyte on his hands, had watched me go out, had went and set up on a cliff over above Cape Kowanda, and had watched this whole event unfold. And when he saw me put on this life jacket, he said, that guy's scared. He's right. So I put on that life jacket, and then at that point, right then, Jack called one of the most experienced Dorymans there in Pacific City. And he said, hey, I got somebody that needs some help. You better go get him. So he brought his boat down and he fired it up and off he goes. And so I'm right now, I'm in the breaker line. So there's like six or eight breakers. And then there's rocks because there's, I drifted to where the beach was not. I mean, if it had been beached, that's not so bad. But I drifted where the beach was not. And so I heard that engine come roaring up there and I over the top of the waves there, I heard him shout to me, throw your anchor. And I hollered back, I don't have one. <laughs> and just at the moment I said that, I crested the top wave where I could actually see him. 
And he turns to the guy next to him, and I saw him shake his head and say something which I'm sure was like rookie mistake, right? Then he hollered back, you better be able to tie a knot because we're coming for you. And at that, now I'd practice because I was pretty good at tying a bowling, right? And he said, when that rope hits you, you tie it on. He says, you've got seconds, and we're out of there. And at that, a wave came crashing over, and as that wave crashed over, he was right behind it. He came in. I can still clear, plain as day, 50 years later. He came in, cut across the belly, flung out that rope to me. I grabbed that thing, and before the next wave could break, it was still building. He darts over the top. And he's out, headed to be dropping offline. I'm, how do I tie this knot? Because I could feel it beginning to tighten as it took up the slack, right? And I was like, kind of like a cowboy. Done! Boing! And that line pulled as tight as a rod of iron. If you were really good at balance, you could have just walked from my boat to his on that. <laughs> and he pulled me out of there, drug us back to the beach. And the only thing he said to me that day was, remember to keep your anchor. And he loaded his boat back up and drove away. <laughs> See, the simple fact of the matter is, is historically, we humans, when we powered ourselves by muscle or by wind, we knew how fragile we were. We knew how easy it was for us to be overwhelmed by circumstances or change of situation. We were aware of that, and we carried anchors. I brought one with me today. This is the anchor off of my sailboat. Right there it is. You can tell by that that I don't have a really big sailboat. So I brought this with me as my illustration there. And so they carry, mariners carried anchors with them. Because they knew that there came a time when they, when they needed to set that anchor. And then what happened is, our technology got better. And we got, so we built really good engines. And we, become, we came to trust our technology in all of our lives, not just in our boats. In all of our lives, it was all about our money, our knowledge our technology, we were the master of our fate. We were the, the poem, the Invictus, the captain of our soul, is what we believed. I mean, I was at the coast not too long ago with my wife Diane, and we're there deep Bay, and we watched the Coast Guard boats go out, and they would set right in the breaker line as the waves crash, right? And the gold standard for those guys is to be able to adjust their motor and hold that boat right in the breaker line so that if they're picking up somebody overboard, they can pull right up beside them in the breaker line. Waves are crashing all over and hold that boat steady and bring them up. But you know, even with all of that power and skill and technology, you know what? They still carry anchors. We've become so enamored with our ability that we've jettisoned the anchor of our faith. We've become those who depend upon ourselves. We have money, we have technology, we have knowledge, we have all of these things. So we become the sole captains of our situation. 
Now, we live in a fluid environment. We do not live in a solid, stable environment. We are like those on the sea. Everything is changing from moment to moment, today, today. It's enough to make you seasick if you're prone to such things. I mean, after all, in the last year, we've lost spouses, we've lost friends, we've lost relatives. We went from stay home for 14 days so that the hospitals don't get jammed up and don't wear a mask to wear one mask, two masks, get a vaccine, get another vaccine, get a booster. Oh, and by the way, wear your mask. Okay, we've been through all of this. We all know the fluidity of the situation. We've seen our cities be looted and burned. We have gone on and on. We have those who want to teach our children that the color of their skin determines if they're an oppressor or a victim. All of the things that our culture goes on and on and on. And in our own personal lives, I'm sure we've all had setbacks and difficulties. We live in a fluid environment. It is constantly changing and constantly moving. I have a little journal that I keep. I write in it every night. Don't have to write much, otherwise I wouldn't write in it. little space there. And I noticed that the beginning of every year, last night I laid in my bed, it's right up there beside my bed, I scribbled my little note. And I idly just kind of fan those pages. And I wonder what will be written on these. What joys, what sorrows, what will be written on these pages? You see, we need to carry our anchor. Yes, we are a people that do things. We are not just fatalists that stand still. But we have to realize that our our efforts, our money, our knowledge, our technology that will handle this can fail us. And sometimes on a vessel at sea in a storm is when they are most likely to fail. That engine, that prop comes up out of the water and it spins like mad and then roar back down. Engines don't like that. The oil gets slapped all over the place. And something that maybe would work for us just fine, cruising along on a sunny day, in the storms of life, breaks down, and we need an anchor. We find that in Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, it says that we have an anchoring spot, a steadfast anchor for the soul. Without anchors, we are adrift. We are at, we are out of control. In 1588, the Spanish Armada decided that they were going to force England back into Catholicism. The Reformation had been underway for about 50 years. The Spanish Inquisition was in full bloom. In Europe, they were burning heretics for disagreeing with the Catholic view of things. And England was a tiny, little, impoverished island nation. We tend to think of the great British Empire when we think of those times, but it was not the case. England was a tiny, impoverished island with no empire, with nothing, with no money, on the verge of bankruptcy. 
And the Spanish said, this is the time to retake England, to dispose, depose Queen Elizabeth I, who was a Protestant queen, and to force England to accept Catholicism. And so they sent the mighty Spanish Armada <clears throat> down upon England. 130 ships. They had 50% more firepower than the English fleet. They were powerful. It said it took two days for them to originally leave port in Spain as the ships went out, ship after ship after ship after ship. It was commonly believed that the English were no match at all for the great Spanish Armada, that England would fall, that the Reformation would be over with, and that Spain would achieve, once again, unchallenged, its position as the greatest military and financial might of the entire world. The Spanish made a fatal error. Before they launched their attack, <clears throat> they set their anchors in a harbor at Calais on the, on the French side of the English Channel. They set those anchors there to wait for troops that were coming by land, that was going to board those ships that would be the invasion troops <clears throat> for England. The English there observed that the wind was blowing towards the Spanish ships. So the English took eight old ships and lit them on fire. And they set their sails, and the sailors jumped overboard and swam to the nearest English ship, and these eight ships that were on fire started drifting in towards the Spanish Armada. The Spanish were terrified that they would be engulfed by these and catch fire. Now, the interesting thing about it is that those ships didn't actually do any damage at all. At least it didn't look like it. But what the Spanish did in their terror, they sent sailors out to chop the ropes that held their anchors. They chopped those ropes loose and they left their anchors behind and they set, worked their way out of port. They didn't realize at the moment that they chopped those anchors loose that they were condemning thousands of sailors, thousands of soldiers, and dozens of ships to their deaths. They didn't realize that. They left that port, they moved towards England, make a long story short, it's not that long really, it's just a several days. The wind blew and carried them towards the shores of Ireland and Scotland. They had no anchor to set, and ship after ship after ship after ship ran aground and were destroyed, and the Spanish Armada was wiped out. Interestingly enough, the wind that blew them came to be called the Protestant wind. <laughs> that was the end of the domination of Spain. It was the end of the domination of Spain because they cut their anchors loose. Now, I've got a question for you. Maybe you've been having a lot of difficulty. And maybe your anchor of faith is set there in the rock. But as it goes on and on and on, and the storm beats on and on, and it doesn't pass quickly, you begin to ask yourself, maybe I can do better. Maybe I really don't need this anchor. 
Maybe I'm better off to cut it loose and do something else. Take this into my own hands. I would encourage you, never, ever cut that anchor. Don't cut that line to your faith. It's critical that you have it. In Hebrews 11.1, we're going to go back to Hebrews 11. I want to point out something to you there. Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When a mariner stands on the deck of his ship and he drops this anchor down, he doesn't see the bottom. He's got faith that it's down there, that there's something solid down there. That's the faith that he has. That's the faith that you have to have, that although you can't see it, God is there. In this fluid environment in which you live, I want you in faith to let that anchor down, to be assured that, yes, it's there. It's solid. It's waiting for you. You see, if we could see it, it wouldn't be faith, now would it? The other thing that we have is we need to have, as you mentioned, all of you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the things that you know that God has promised. See, in sailing, there's something called holding ground. In every cruising book for sailors, when you enter a harbor, there's areas that are called holding ground. That's the place where the anchor can faithfully put down and hold. Where is our holding ground? Our holding ground is found right there in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, right there, says... That it is impossible for God to lie. We have fled for refuge that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steady anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What is being referred to there? It's being referred to the holiest of holies. The very presence of God. That's the holding ground. That's where our anchor of faith drops into. That's what it grabs a hold of. It doesn't grab a hold of flimsy things. It grabs a hold of something solid, dependable. And then it says to hold fast. That scripture right hold fast. You drop that anchor down and you secure it off. You hold fast to that anchor line. The holiest of holies, the very presence of God, is our holding ground. These anchors have tremendous power. There's a reason why they have tremendous power. An anchor can only hold about two times its weight, just sitting there on the bottom. There it sets, clunk, which means that this anchor, frankly, I'm not that strong, really couldn't hold very much, just sitting there on the ground. But of course, it carries these flukes, and it digs in, and that's where its strength comes from, from being in 
that holding ground. An anchor that's well set can hold ten times its weight. So that's what God gives us. He wants us to dig in. And maybe you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm already on the rocks. I've drifted, I've drifted, and I'm already on the rocks. My life, I can feel it breaking up. Well, then there's some good news I have for you about another use for an anchor. It's called kedging. Okay? When a ship would go on the rocks, they'd take that anchor, and they'd put it in a rowboat, and they'd have somebody row out there till he found solid holding ground. And he'd drop that anchor in, and then you begin to pull that anchor line. And you pull that anchor line, and that anchor holds, and it drags that ship off the rocks called kedging. If your ship is already on the rocks, you already feel like, man, my life is, I can feel it breaking up. I encourage you to take your faith, plant it in that solid holding ground, kedge your way out of there, pull it out of there. Now, I've talked about anchors mostly here as something that is used when all else fails and there's a tremendous emergency and that's not the total use of anchors. And I don't want you to leave here with that impression. I don't want you to leave here with the impression that, well, when we've done everything that we can, then we trust God. That's not the case. There are other uses of anchors. I will tell you that some of the most beautiful places in the world are anchorages where ships put their anchors down. Places in the South Pacific and Norway and along all beautiful coasts all over the world. They'll pull into an anchorage, they'll put that anchor down, and they will stand there in awe. There's times in our relationship with God, we don't have some big emergency. It's not like our life is falling apart. But let's take that time to anchor in and say, look at that beauty. We sang about it. The beauty of the stars. I know you have all done it. You have all, at some point in your lives, stood somewhere and saw the sky or a canyon or a river, whatever the case may be, and you said, the majesty of God displayed. Take that anchor, sink that anchor in. There's another time, and I just learned about this because I was talking to Arnie. We were discussing this. And Arnie says, you know the other time you need an anchor? I said, "Uh, well, when you're fishing. He said, I've got two. (laughs) You know, and there's times when life is wonderful and sublime and beautiful and productive. and There can't be, for a person who fishes, there can't be much, much better than, right? In our life, there are those experiences where this is marvelous. Fantastic, right? And at that point, we need to strengthen our connection, our faith to God, and realize His part that He plays in this. You see, anchors have a lot of uses. 
I want us to remember that we live in a fluid environment. It's always changing. And we carry an anchor, we have that anchor of faith for the most fearful and for the most wonderful moments of our life. We have those anchors when new babies are born. And we have those anchors when new babies die. We have those anchors when the most wonderful, imaginable things happen to us and when the most terrible. That anchor of faith, that anchor that lies inside the veil, in the very presence of God. We never cut our anchor line. No matter how hard, how rough, how difficult, when the waves sweep over you, that line stays intact. We never cut the line. The English Armada from 1588 should have taught us that for sure. We never cut the line. And if you're already on the rocks, you can feel those rocks hitting the bottom of your boat and you're pretty sure that this is, nah, this is pretty bad. Cadge off. Get that anchor set in. God will pull you out of there. You see, we have an anchor that holds us strong in the good times and the bad, no matter what this next year brings. And we have no idea what it's going to bring. There, it is as blank to us as the blank pages on my journal. But I do know that we have an anchor. And I will tell you, we're going to sing a song together. Some of you may know it. Come on up, Beth. Some of you may know it. We're going to put it up here in the words there. I've anchored in Jesus. Just real quickly, just for the fun of it. How many people actually know that song, I've anchored in Jesus? Okay, there we go. One, two, okay, three, I got, I got about three hands up. Okay, perfect. I tell you what, we'll stand up and the words will be up there. And uh, we'll sing it together a few times. Now, I want to tell you uh, that uh, I, I got this music for Beth, who was not familiar with it. Because uh, we we're a community church here and we come from a lot of different traditions. I come from a charismatic southern tradition, <clears throat> which means that when we sing this song, it's not going to be like a dirge, okay? <laughs> so you will see this song. I've got it there. Now, please help me out. If you know it, sing loud. If you don't, pick up with it as we go. We'll end up singing three verses, and we'll sing the chorus a couple times, and we'll probably sing the chorus an extra time, because that's what we do. Yeah. Okay, let's go. <laughs>